Welcome to the Fixing Healthcare podcast series, Diving Deep, one of Fixing Healthcare's weekly podcast programs. I am one of your hosts, Jeremy Kaur, also host of the Popular Books and Medicine podcast and CEO of Executive Podcast Solutions. With me is Dr. Robert Pearl. For 18 years, Robert was the CEO of the Permanente Medical Group, the nation's largest physician group. He is currently a Forbes contributor, a professor at both the Stanford University School of Medicine and Business, and author of the best-selling books, Mistreated, Why We Think We're Getting Good Healthcare and Why We're Usually Wrong, and Uncaring, How the Culture of Medicine Kills Doctors and Patients. All profits from his books go to Doctors Without Borders. If you want information on a broad range of healthcare topics, you can visit his website, robertperlmd.com. In this episode of Diving Deep, I plan to ask him about his thoughts on healthcare's battles in 2024 and pose a question that dozens of listeners have asked about technology and medical practice. Robbie, with one month of 2024 completed, how do you see the upcoming battles American medicine will engage over the rest of the year? Jeremy, to answer your question, let me put current healthcare in a historical context. For most of modern medicine, doctors, hospitals, pharmaceutical companies, and other major players, they've worked together in a collegial environment. A Stanford Business School colleague, Dr. Robert Bergelman, calls this, quote, country club competition. It hasn't always been amicable, but solutions were always found and spats resolved. The various players in medicine perceived their interests aligned and for the most part, they stayed in their lanes and out of each other's business. How did the process work? It began with a common understanding that clinicians would make patient-centric decisions. Then using that information, hospitals and pharmaceutical companies would calculate their care, treatment, and production costs, and then it add a modest profit. And finally, insurers would set insurance rates based on those figures and, of course, Businesses and the government, hoping to save a little money, would try to negotiate slightly lower coverage rates, but not at the expense of favored doctors or hospitals. Disputes among the parties were resolved quietly and behind the scenes. How do you view the current landscape? Jeremy, times have changed significantly as healthcare has taken a 180-degree turn. We now have insurers imposing strict prior authorization requirements, and they're using generative AI to reject claims. Hospitals have acquired competitors, creating monopolistic systems over large geographic areas. Drug manufacturers that continue to invest tens of millions of dollars each year on direct-to-consumer advertising, intense governmental lobbying, and campaign contributions. In response, we're seeing doctors signing on with private equity companies and they're beginning to form unions. Dr. Bergman refers to this type of industry as bare knuckles competition. What will this shift mean for healthcare in 2024? Jeremy, this year will be characterized by even more cutthroat competition than last year, with intense battles played out in public. As the once harmonious world of healthcare races for battle, three critical struggles will take center stage. Each one promises controversy, and it will have profound implications for the future of medicine. What's the first of these? The first major battle will occur in the courts and voting booths. For nearly 50 years, from the landmark Roe versus Wade decision in 1973 to its overruling by the 2022 Dobbs case, 
Abortion decisions were the province of women and their doctors. This dynamic has changed in nearly half of the states. This spring, the Supreme Court is set to hear another pivotal case. This one on Mifaspristone. This is an important drug for medical abortions. The ruling is expected in June, and it will significantly impact women's rights and federal regulatory bodies like the FDA. Can you provide some of the medical details? Sure, Jeremy, happy to do so. Traditionally, abortions were surgical procedures. Today, over half of all terminations are medically induced, primarily using a two-drug combination, which includes mifeprestone. Since its arrival in 2000, mifeprestone has been prescribed to over 5 million women, and it boosts and boasts an excellent safety record. But anti-abortion groups now are challenging this method. They propose stringent legal restrictions, reducing the administrative window to give the drug from 10 to seven weeks following conception, banning distribution of the drug by mail, and mandating three in-person doctor visits, a very burdensome requirement for many. While physicians could still prescribe the second drug, misoprostol, the second drug in the regime, its effectiveness alone pales in comparison to the two-drug combo. Should the Supreme Court overrule and overturn the FDA's clinical expertise in these matters, abortion activists fear that the floodgates will open, inviting new challenges against other established medications, maybe even birth control. How have pro-choice advocates responded? In response, several states have fortified abortion rights through ballot initiatives. This is a trend that's expected to gain momentum in this November's election. This legislative action underscores a significant public opinion divide from the Supreme Court's stance. In fact, contrary to the conservative stance of the court, a survey published in Nature Human Behavior reveals 60% of Americans support legalizing abortion. Putting the pieces together, the chasm between the various sides has widened dramatically. Is there a path to resolution in 2024? Jeremy, it's doubtful that a resolution can be reached. Traditionally, SCOTUS rulings have mirrored public opinion on key social issues, but its deviation on abortion sets the stage for an even fiercer clash in the years to come. The Supreme Court ruling that further renders abortion unconstitutional that would contradict the principles outlined by the justices in the Dobbs decision. And then given that some states have made abortion statewide constitutionally guaranteed, but others have completely prohibited, even when there's been rape or incest, I fear that America's divide on abortion rights, it's poised to deepen, not narrow, in the coming year. What will be the medical consequences? The medical implications are massive. Already we're seeing large areas of the country, particularly in the South, with OBGYN deserts and a lack of modern delivery services, facilities, or skilled staff to provide the care that women need. We're seeing medical students not applying to training programs in these geographic areas, fearing they will be able to deliver excellent medical care. Currently, the U.S. has a maternal mortality rate that's twice as high 
as the second worst industrialized nation in the world. And we're the only wealthy nation where more mothers are dying for 100,000 live births this year than last. And of course, all these problems disproportionately impact poor women compared to wealthier ones, women who can't avail themselves of the out-of-state options which exist. And since these same drugs are used in life-threatening situations for women, not ones who want an abortion, but ones who unfortunately are suffering pregnancy-related complications, banning their use without medical justification will prove dangerous and risky. What's a second battle that's likely to play out in 2024? Jeremy, a year after ChatGPT's release, an arms race in generative AI is shaping up in nearly all industries. Organizations are investing billions of dollars to get a technological leg up on the competition. For this budding revolution, it sparked widespread concern. You may remember that the Hollywood screenwriters and Hollywood actors recently emerged victorious from a 150-day strike that was partially focused on the threat of AI as a replacement for human workers. In the media realm, we're seeing prominent organizations, including the New York Times, along with a bevy of celebrities and influencers, having initiated copyright infringement lawsuits against OpenAI, the developer of ChatGPT. <clears throat> so far, healthcare lags other industries, ones like banking, manufacturing, finance, and the use of generative AI, but I predict that will rapidly change in 2024. Robbie, I believe you're writing a book on this topic. Will it be released in 2024? You're correct, Jeremy. I will be publishing a book. Its title will be ChatGPT MD, and it'll be published later this spring. It will focus on how future generations of generative AI will improve quality, increase patient convenience, reduce clinician burnout, and make American medicine more affordable. When I decided to write it, I realized that the pace of technology was advancing was so fast that if I took the usual two-year framework to complete print and distribute a book, the information would be outdated by the time people could read it. As such, I'm writing the book with ChatGPT as a co-author. It'll be interesting to see how readers react to a manuscript co-authored by a human and an AI application. When it comes to healthcare, what do you see as the biggest battle generative AI will create in 2024? The most profound conflict I predict will be in medical practice itself, and it will involve the doctor-patient relationship. Physicians already are vexed by patients who self-diagnose with Dr. Google. They find themselves conflicted as a result as to whether generative AI will be friend or foe. Unlike traditional search engines, however, generative AI doesn't just spit out information. Instead, it provides nuanced medical insights based on extensive up-to-date research. As future generations of AI become more reliable, and could be combined with extensive patient information, the technology will empower individuals to take on many of the tasks that doctors do today. Studies demonstrate that AI can already diagnose and recommend treatment with remarkable accuracy and empathy, often surpassing human doctors in ever more ways. Jeremy, across the US today, 
400,000 patients die and another 400,000 suffer permanent harm from misdiagnoses. And at night and on weekends, individuals have no option but to drive to an ER to evaluate a problem that could be rapidly treated in a doctor's office at 10% of the cost if the problem had come up between 8 a.m. and 5 p.m. the next day. In both these areas and in dozens of others, ChatGPT will provide medical expertise, helping to resolve these questions and challenges safely and effectively. But to make that process successful, it will require that the providers of medical care be willing to trust patients to appropriately use generative AI and to help them expand their expertise in combining generative AI with the most important piece of the doctor-patient relationship, the trust that each side has in the other. How likely is it that the role generative AI should play in medicine will be resolved in 2024? Jeremy, it won't happen that quickly. I predict it will take five to maybe 10 years for full resolution. While doctors are already taking advantage of AI's administrative benefits, including using it for billing, note-taking, and data entry, they remain concerned that ChatGPT will lead to errors if used by patients for medical care. And today they're right. If we think about this process of empowering patients being dependent on the generative tools currently available, as we've discussed in previous podcasts, they're not, they're not good enough today. But five years from now, ChatGPT is predicted to be 30 times more powerful. And by 10 years, a thousand times more powerful and most likely reliable and safe and with exponentially greater power and reliability, I believe generative AI systems will become as integral to medical care as the stethoscope has been for centuries. When I look into the future, generative AI applications will interface with wearable monitors and electronic health records. They'll aid in disease management, diagnosis, chronic condition monitoring. They'll enhance clinical outcomes and overall health. And by taking on let's say 20% of the tasks that physicians must do today, they'll free up the time that doctors need to delve deeper into people's chronic illnesses and help them avoid complications from these chronic diseases like heart attacks, strokes, and cancer. They'll generate more resources and initiate a virtuous cycle driven by improved health and superior medical outcomes, diminishing demand on physicians freeing up the time and allowing them and their patients to achieve better clinical outcomes. Robbie, what's the third and final battle you see brewing? Almost no discussion of healthcare would be complete without referencing medicine's unsustainable economics. From routine doctor visits to complex hospital stays and drug prescriptions, every aspect of US healthcare is getting far more expensive. That's not news to most Americans. Half of them say it's difficult for them currently to afford healthcare costs to say nothing about what will happen as they continue to rise. But people may be surprised to learn how the pricing wars will play out this year and how the winners will affect the overall cost of medical care. What do you mean by that? Jeremy, across the United States, what we're seeing is nurses striking nurses quitting bedside medical care, 
And in parallel, doctors unionizing, leaving private practice, 71,000 of them last year actually left medicine completely. You know, after a year of soaring inflation, healthcare supply chain costs and wage expectations, they're through the roof. A notable example emerged in California, where a planned $25 an hour minimum wage for all healthcare workers had to be retracted by Governor Newsom amid budget constraints. What we're seeing is that financial pressures are increasing in nearly all communities. Thousands of doctors have sold their medical practices to private equity firms, and we can expect this trend to continue in 2024, likely driving up prices by as much as 30% for many specialties. Already we're seeing healthcare premiums for 2024 appearing to rise much faster than in recent years. And we know that drug costs will soar in 2024 as the weight loss drugs, which we know from a prior Diving Deep podcast costs more than $12,000 a year, they're gonna become increasingly available. Adding to price inflation, we're seeing this groundbreaking sickle cell disease treatment, which uses the controversial CRISPR technology. It's projected to cost nearly $3 million for patient. These areas across every part of medicine, these costs are likely to rise. Is there any hope in sight, Robbie? Jeremy, to help tame runaway prices, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services will reduce out-of-pocket costs for dozens of what's called Part B medications this year. Those are the medications delivered by doctors to Medicare recipients in the doctor's office. And in some cases, costs will go down by as much as $2,786, according to White House officials. In response, the move, one of many price-busting measures under the Inflation Reduction Act, has already ignited a series of legal challenges for the pharmaceutical industry. All eyes are focused on what will come next. Big Pharma currently is seeking to delay or overturn legislation that would allow CMS to negotiate prices for 10 of the most expensive outpatient drugs starting in 2026 and even more medications in the subsequent years. To some extent, the question of resolution of this battle will be up to the voters, with national healthcare spending expected to leap from $4 trillion a year to $7 trillion by 2031. The price and debate will only intensify in 2024. The upcoming elections in November will be pivotal in steering the financial strategy for healthcare. A Republican surge could mean tighter controls on Medicare and Medicaid and relaxed insurance regulations for businesses, whereas a democratic sweep could lead to increased taxes, especially on the wealthy. Of course, a divided government would once again stall significant reforms, and that will only exacerbate the crisis of unaffordability into 2025. How will all this play out? Jeremy, American healthcare, much like any battlefield, is fraught with conflict and turmoil. As we navigate 2024, the wars ahead seem destined to intensify before any semblance of peace can be attained. Yet despite and amidst the strife, hope does glimmer. The rise of ChatGPT and other generative AI technologies, they hold promise 
for revolutionizing patient empowerment and systemic efficiencies, making healthcare more accessible while mitigating the burden of chronic disease. The debate over abortion rights, while deeply polarizing, might eventually find resolution in a legislative middle ground that echoes Roe's protections with some restrictions on how latent pregnancy procedures can be performed. Unfortunately, Jeremy, some problems, they just need to get worse before they can get better. I predict the affordability of healthcare will be one of them. We've received dozens of requests for you to dive deeper into the brouhaha that happened at OpenAI, particularly the conflict between its CEO, Sam Altman, and the various board members. Can you start by summarizing the story? Jeremy, in November of 2023, over the span of five white-knuckled days, Sam Altman, the CEO of Silicon Valley's most advanced gender of AI company, was fired by his board of directors, replaced by not one, but two different candidates, hired to lead Microsoft's AI research efforts, and finally rehired back to his CEO position at OpenAI with a new board. A couple of weeks later, Time Magazine selected him CEO of the year. I've waited to comment in detail about his dismissal, since the specifics remain confidential and they have yet to be released by OpenAI's board. However, now that it's close to three months later and the story continues to be undisclosed, I suspect we may never hear what really transpired. As such, now would be a good time to discuss and for our listeners to be able to hear about the lessons that the narrative provides, not only for aspiring and current healthcare leaders, but also for everyone who works with and depends on them. And that's almost all of us. What's one lesson you see in the narrative? The first lesson for leaders is the importance of agreeing on an organization's goal, defining it clearly, and then pursuing it tirelessly. Of course, OpenAI's governance structure presented a unique case. This was a not-for-profit board whose stated mission was to protect humanity and it found itself overseeing an enterprise valued at more than $80 billion. Predictably, this setup invited conflict as the company's humanitarian mission began to clash with the commercial realities of a lucrative for-profit entity. Is there any evidence of malfeasance by Altman? No, so far the answer is, is to the negative. In fact, it seems highly unlikely that the brouhaha that you mentioned resulted from Altman's personal financial interests. According to IRS filings, the CEO's salary was only $58,333 a year at the time of his firing, and he reportedly owns no stock. While Altman clearly knows the company needs to raise money to fund the creation of ever more powerful AI tools. His primary goal doesn't appear to revolve around maximizing shareholder value, or for that matter, increasing his own personal wealth. Then what do you think happened? My best guess, Jeremy, is that there was a strategic clash in definition of purpose between Altman and the board members. I believe Altman and the now disbanded board they actually shared a common mission. They both wanted to save humanity. The problem was that the parties were 180 degrees apart when it came to defining what that means and figuring out exactly 
how best to protect humanity. Almond's path to saving humanity that involved racing forward as fast as possible. As CEO, he understood generative AI's potential to radically enhance productivity and eliminate threats like world hunger and climate change. Contrast, the board feared that breakneck AI development speed could spiral out of control and that would pose a threat to human existence. Rather than perceiving artificial general intelligence, often referred to as AGI, as a savior, much of the board worried that a self-learning system might harm humanity. This dichotomy had pitted a CEO intent on changing the world to protect humanity against the board intent on making sure that progress was only incremental and cautious. And they saw that as the best way to accomplish the same goal, even if as a tactic, it was in exactly the opposite direction. Just for clarity, what do you mean by existential threat? When it comes to artificial intelligence, and particularly when it comes to AGI, the potential exists for a computer application to, I'll say in quotes, have a mind of its own, rather than serving humanity to try to control humanity. To understand the risk, think back to the work of Darwin and how advances which create competitive advantage come to dominate prior ones as a result of natural selection they don't do it through conscious decision. It happens as a force of nature. Through this lens, a generative AI program that was prompted to improve its function could build robots that were designed to protect it and to have them act on its behalf. It could threaten humanity by hijacking power grids and financial systems. We know that already ChatGPT can program as well as humans. And as we said earlier, from five years, it's 30 times more powerful. And in 10 years, a thousand times. At that rate, who knows what it's capable of accomplishing? And yet something like climate change poses equally dangerous, dangerous existential threats as our planet becomes increasingly hot. You can see how this notion of existential threat can be viewed as either relating to the technology itself harming humans versus the ability of the technology to protect humans from dangers that we ourselves create. I can see why some people might be scared, but before we go there, what is the lesson this chaos at OpenAI offers for healthcare organizations? Like OpenAI, American healthcare leaders share a common goal. Be they doctors, insurers, government health agencies, they all tout the importance of value-based care, which in general terms constitutes a financial and care delivery model based on paying healthcare professionals for the quality of clinical outcomes they achieve rather than the quantity of services they provide. But despite agreeing on the target, Similar to the AI board and Sam Altman, healthcare leaders differ greatly on what it means and how best to accomplish it. Something of, some people think of value-based care as pay for performance. They believe that by offering doctors small incentives based on metrics around prevention and patient satisfaction, 
that they can accomplish all of these goals, but the reality is these programs fail because clinicians begin to ignore any metric that doesn't have an incentive tied to it. And as a result, some things go up and some things go down, but overall, health languishes. Then there are other leaders. They believe that value-based care means paying insurers a set annual upfront fee to provide health care to a population of patients. And this sounds good, but it too fails. And so the same insurers turn around and pay doctors and hospitals on a fee-for-service basis. And when this happens, costs go up, so the insurers start to implement restrictive prior authorization requirements to keep costs down, and quality languishes. Instead of making minor financial tweaks that inevitably fall short of these goals of higher quality, more convenient access, and greater affordability, leaders who want to transform American medicine, I think they must play to win. And this will require them to move quickly and completely away from fee-for-service payments, ones which reward volume of care, to capitation at the delivery system level, rewarding superior results by prepaying doctors and hospitals directly, holding them accountable to access and quality goals, but keeping the insurers out of the middle, stopping them from be being part of the middlemen society. Like OpenAI's former board members, today's healthcare leaders are playing not to lose, and they're taking tiny steps forward. They avoid making these big changes because they fear the backlash of risk-averse providers. But anything less than being all in, I don't think it's going to make a dent given the magnitude of problems that American healthcare faces today. To be effective, leaders must make these hard decisions, accept the risks, and be confident that once the changes are in place, no one will want to go back to the old ways of doing things. Do you think the existential concerns we discussed earlier are valid? Jeremy, this is a very hard question. In surveys of IT experts working in generative AI, the estimate for a catastrophic outcome is unexpectedly high, as much as 10% on average. But I don't believe that stopping open AI or even restricting technological implementation across the US will prove beneficial. Remember, this technology will be developed around the globe. We know that. And the only way to battle it, if you're inside the United States, is by having our nation being able to employ even more powerful tools. In high school and college, I programmed computers. And even at that time, I could clearly see the possibility of technology taking over life as we know it, this being a potential future risk. And that danger, of course, remains today. What's changed is the length of the timeline. This possibility no longer is in the distant future. It's now in the foreseeable future, although certainly not here today. And that is what is making experts become concerned and anxious over what will happen as this technology becomes ever more powerful in the future. What should Altman's story teach healthcare boards? Jeremy, the success of OpenAI to me emphasizes the impact that visionary leaders can have on organizations and society overall. Of course, Altman isn't the extreme, both in terms of the magnitude of success, which has been massive, 
and the risk that the current pace of innovation creates, as we just said. Many tech industry commentators have drawn comparisons between Altman and Steve Jobs. Both leaders possess the rare ability to foresee a better future and then turn that vision into reality. Both demonstrated the passion for exceeding what people want and exceeding people's expectations, not for their own benefit, but because they believe in a greater mission and purpose. Altman and Jobs, they're visionary leaders. These types of individuals push their organization and people to accomplish remarkable outcomes that few believe possible. These types of leaders always challenge conservative and even moderate boards that can't keep up with the pace of change. You know, I'm, I'm living in the San Francisco area right now, and an analogy to me is the basketball player, Steph Curry, of the Golden State Warriors. He has this remarkable ability to launch three-point shots from distances that most guards wouldn't even contemplate. At first, what he does scares you because the odds of success seem incredibly low. But over time, you become comfortable with his aggressive play, not because it ever looks easy, but because it wins games. What led to the resignation of the board's directors? Jeremy, when the OpenAI board realized that they couldn't constrain a CEO like Sam Altman, they fired him. On day one of that decision, I believe the board members assumed that their actions would protect humanity and therefore earn the approval of OpenAI's employees. But the story took a sharp turn when nearly all of the company's 770 workers signed a letter to the board in support of Altman. They threatened to quit unless the visionary leader was brought back immediately and the board resigned. Five days after the battle began, the board was facing a rebellion. At that point, they had lost the people working at the firm, they had lost the external world, and they had little choice but to step down. How does this translate to healthcare? The American healthcare system, Jeremy, as you and I both know, it's struggling. Half of Americans say they can't afford their out-of-pocket expenses, which now max out at $16,000 a year for an insured family. Simultaneously, American health is languishing with the average life expectancy basically unchanged over the past two decades. Maternal infant mortality rates in the US are double what they are in other wealthy countries. And inside medicine, burnout runs rampant. As we said earlier, 71,000 physicians have already left the profession. Visionary leadership, often sidelined in favor of the status quo, is crucial for transformative change. In healthcare today, boards prioritize hiring CEOs with the ability to consolidate market control and achieve positive financial results rather than the ability to drive excellence in clinical outcomes and the consequence for both the providers and recipients of care proves painful. Like OpenAI's employees, healthcare professionals want leaders who are genuine, who have the courage to abandon bureaucratic safety in favor of innovative solutions and who could, and who could ignite their passion for medicine. For a growing number of clinicians, the practice of medicine has become just a job. It's no longer a mission and without that spark, I believe the future of medicine 
is bleak. How did the board ultimately view its options? OpenAI's board simultaneously promoted and feared ChatGPT's potential. In this era of advanced technology, the dilemma of embracing versus restraining innovation is becoming increasingly common. The board, of course, could have shut down OpenAI and done everything, or it could have done everything in its power to advance the AI that it was developing, but it couldn't do both. And when an organization in highly competitive industries tries to strike a safe balance, choosing what seemingly is the less contentious middle ground, they always fail to accomplish any of their goals. And in this case, in the end, the board members had no choice but to resign. What are the healthcare lessons? Despite being data-driven scientists, healthcare professionals often hesitate to embrace information technologies. They've been burned by tools like the electronic health records, which were designed to maximize revenue rather than facilitate medical care. And I think their skepticism is understandable. But generative AI, it's different because it has the potential to simultaneously increase quality, accessibility, and affordability. And this is where technology and skilled leadership must combine forces. It's not enough for leaders to embrace generative AI. They must inspire physicians to apply it in ways that promote collaboration and achieve day-to-day -day operational efficiency and effectiveness. Without the combination of technology and leadership, technology and clinician expertise, operational improvements will be at best incremental and clinical advances minimal. If the boards of directors and other similar decision-making bodies in healthcare want their organizations to lead the process of change, they'll need to select and support leaders with the vision, the courage, and the skill to take radical and risky leaps forward. If they don't do this, if not, as OpenAI's narrative demonstrates, they and their organizations will become insignificant and they'll be left behind. We hope you enjoyed this podcast and we'll tell your friends and colleagues about it. Fixing Healthcare is now a weekly podcast posted each Tuesday night. Please follow Fixing Healthcare on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your favorite podcast app. If you like the show, please rate it five stars and leave a review. Visit our website at fixinghealthcarepodcast.com and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter at Fixing HC Podcast. Thank you for listening to Fixing Healthcare's newest series, Diving Deep with Dr. Robert Pearl and Jeremy Kaur. Have a great day.